from the beginning of the day until the sunset just to hear from God. I don't know about you, but I've come to hear from God today. I've come to worship Him. We have already been ushered into His presence through beautiful drama, through great music and singing, and now we want to go to the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Around here on Sunday, we ask that you would stand out of respect to the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he, being Jesus, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Bow your heads with me, Father. Thank you for the Word of God. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. It is a fire that burns the impurities out of our lives. For these next few moments, Lord, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would be upon your word and upon this servant to share in the way in which you have directed. God, touch hearts, minister to lives, encourage the discouraged today. On this Easter Sunday, we'll give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, and the church said... Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tony. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk to you this morning on this thought of when the victory lasts longer than the battle. When the victory lasts longer than the battle. For many years on Easter Sunday, I have selected the gospel accounts to share some of the historical events and miracles that took place on that great Easter Sunday morning. But I want to share with you that Resurrection Sunday was not just a miraculous event. It was not just an eternity-altering occasion. It wasn't just an earth-shaking moment in the history of our past. 
But the resurrection has power and authority for today. It's present. It's current. There's relevance for victorious living found in the events of that three-day weekend. Like everyone in the room, I'm so glad that when the battle is over and the war is concluded, the good guys will win. But I'm equally grateful that not only do the people of God win, but the victory and the gathering of the spoils of the war take longer than the war itself. I was thinking this week about biblical battles, some that stand out in my mind and in my heart. You're a student of the scripture, especially from the Old Testament. You will remember that there was a battle in Joshua chapter 6 in a place called Jericho. The nation of Israel was going against the nation of Jericho and they were there for seven days. And on the seventh day, they were commanded to march around the exterior of the city. And on the seventh time, they were to give a shout and blow the trumpets. And so they got to the seventh time and they gave a shout and they blew the trumpets. And the scripture says that God brought down the walls and they destroyed the enemy. And it no doubt took longer than the moments of conflict to gather all the treasuries to bring into the house of the Lord. There were spoils from the war when the victory lasts longer than the battle. Then I was taken to another battle in the Old Testament. There was an Assyrian king. He was an enemy of God's people, and he threatened Judah, the people of the Lord, in 2 Kings chapter 20. And God told his king, whose name was Hezekiah, listen to what he said. He said, even though you hear these threats, you will have three years of produce that will come to you in abundance. And so while God put a hook in the nose of the evil king and led him away to destruction, and while God sent one angel to destroy 185,000 of the Assyrian army in one night, God yet promised his king and his people three years of produce and blessing to the nation of God. Again, when the victory lasts longer than the battle. But today I really want to zero in on one more from the Old Testament. It was from the Moabites. And for the relevance of this message today, it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When the Moabites were threatening God's people and the king called a fast throughout the land. And the word that came to the king, God's king, was this. The battle is not yours, but the battle is God's. You will not need to fight in this battle, but you just simply need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God whipped the enemy on behalf of his people yet again. And listen to verse 25 of that chapter. It says, and when the king and his people came to take away the spoil, 
of them that they found among them in abundance, both riches and precious jewels, more than they could carry. And note this, they were three days in gathering of the spoils of the conflict because it was so much. When the victory lasts longer than the battle. Now there's two very important truths that happened in this third miracle that I want to bring to your attention this morning. Number one, in this particular victory, the scripture says in verse 26 that they blessed the Lord in the valley on the fourth day. I said they, they blessed the Lord in the valley on the fourth day after the victory had been won. After they had gathered the spoils, they blessed the Lord in the valley. The second thing I want you to note is that in verse 27, they returned with trumpets and harps to the house of the Lord with joy. They broke out their harps, they broke out their trumpets after God had given them a victory, after gathering three days of spoil, after celebrating in the valley, they came back to the house of God to continue their celebration. Let me drive this point home. They brought their victory into the house of the Lord. They brought their victory into their valleys. I hope that sinks in this morning for where we're going. These are two very valuable and important points because it brings us to the battle of all battles. I've shared with you three biblical battles from the Old Testament, but that was not the greatest conflict in mankind's history. And I sometimes wonder if we grasp the magnitude of what happened over that three-day weekend. There's two things that significantly took place over that three-day weekend that I want to share with you this morning. The first was, is that there was a battle that was waged against sin and the law, and the battle was won. Let me tell you something. On that cross, when he died on Good Friday, and he gave up the ghost at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he nailed your sins and my sins to that cross. I know that his hands and his feet were physically held there, but I want you to know what Colossians says. It tells us that he nailed our our sins to the cross. It tells us that he, he nailed the law to the cross, the law that told us how sinful we were, the law that, would, that we would all break because we were born into sin. But he took the law that tells us about sin, and he took the sins itself, and he nailed them to the cross that he was hanging on. Listen to Colossians 2 in the version called The Message. It says these words, when you were stuck in your old sin dead life you were incapable of responding to God God brought you alive right along with Christ think of it all sins forgiven the slate wiped clean that old arrest warrant was canceled and nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ well praise the Lord he nailed our sins to the cross. Peter wrote it like this in 1 Peter 2.24. He said, who his own self 
bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. I'm telling you sin was going to destroy you my friend. The law was there to magnify how evil you actually were but praise God when he said it is finished sin and the dominion of the law was broken over my life. Somebody say praise God. In Romans hallelujah. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 15 it says the law would bring forth wrath. In Galatians 3.10 it tells us the law would bring us under a curse. Now I'm here to tell you we are not lawless people. We believe in abiding by the laws of the land. But I'm telling you we are people that live so much above the law in right living because of what Jesus did on the cross. So if you came in here today and you doubt like Thomas and you deny like Peter and you depart and betray like Judas and you dominate and condescend like James and John, all of these were the apostles of Jesus. Yet no matter what the sin was that day or what your sin is today, it has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. You may have come in this morning and you have murder in your heart. You may have anger in your spirit. You may have lust in your body. You may maintain an attitude that lacks gratitude. The list could go on and on. But I'm telling you, you don't have to live with that cloud hanging over your head any longer. All you have to do is accept what Christ did on the cross for your sins and he will enable you and empower are you to live in eternal victory thanks be unto God you may have come in bound by sin but you can leave liberated in the name of Jesus for the battle has already been fought and the battle has already been won praise the Lord so the battle was against sin and it was against the law the law that condemned us but that wasn't the only battle that was waged that, after, that weekend between Friday and Sunday morning. The second thing I want you to know is that there was a battle against the devil and the demons of darkness that was won over that weekend. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, won the battle six hours, one Friday. Listen to me carefully. It says in Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities. Let me just stop here and tell you, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your problem is not your mama. It's not your brother. It's not your distant cousin. Your problem is the devil. He is principalities. He is powers. He is out to destroy every one of us in this room. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. But in Colossians 2.15, the scripture says Jesus spoiled the principalities. That means he stripped the devil. That means he stripped the demons of darkness. That means he took, again, when the victory.
victory lasts longer than the battle. He made a show of them openly. He humiliated them, triumphing over them in it. The New Living Translation states it this way. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So let me tell you what, how it happened. Six hours, one Friday, and he said these words, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he also said, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, he was stripping principalities and powers. He was stripping the, stripping the evil one of his authority. And then Ephesians states that he arose and left those principalities and powers behind. Listen carefully. I'm going to try to make this as, as, as simple as, as I need to understand it for everyone in here. You see, he died at 3 o'clock Friday afternoon. He arose early Sunday morning. But if you think for one moment that over that 39-hour period between 3 o'clock Friday afternoon and 6 a.m. Sunday morning, if you think that his body lay dormant and nothing else was happening, that would be incorrect. During that 39-hour period, there was still some things taking place. Let me tell you what was taking place. In fact, let me just stop here and tell you something, because you've probably read this scripture before, and maybe you didn't understand what it meant, and you'll understand it here in a moment. But one occasion, the Pharisees came up to Jesus, and this is what they said to Jesus. They said, you better run for your life. King Herod is on the hunt for you. He's out to kill you. And you know what Jesus said back to him? He said, you tell that old fox that I have no time for him right now. Listen carefully. He said, today and tomorrow, I'm busy clearing out the demons and healing the sick. And the third day, I am wrapping things up. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus was prophesying something that was getting ready to take place after he hung on that cross. And what he was saying was, as the enemy scoffed at his death, he said, I ain't got no time for this. Because while his dormant body laid in a tomb, he was clearing out demons and bringing deliverance to those who were spiritually sick and on the third day when he came out of the grave he had wrapped things up it was all completed it was all concluded you see he made two stops let me tell you about the first stop the first stop he made while his body laid in a tomb his spirit went to a place called paradise it was an old testament place it was a place where all the saints of old all the righteous saints of old where they went when they died they 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 would go to this place and they would be in waiting for the scripture says in first peter 4 6 for this cause was the gospel preached unto also to them that are dead so what i'm trying to tell you is of According to the scripture is that while Jesus body laid in the tomb his spirit went into Old Testament paradise and he preached to the spirits of Old Testament saints <laughs> and in fact in Ephesians this is what it says it says he ascended to the heights and he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people you know what those gifts were those gifts were gifts of salvation to Old Testament saints see one thing you've got 
to understand is that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will come to the Father except by me. So for 4,000 years, righteous people that loved God and followed the law of God, they wanted to go to be where God was, but they still had to go through Jesus Christ. And so he appears, he shows up, his first stop is paradise. And in paradise, he found Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he preached the cross to them. And then he went and found Isaiah and Daniel and Joseph, and he preached the cross to them. And he went and found Esther and Ruth and Gideon and Elijah, and he preached the cross to them. From Abel, who was the first one to go into paradise, all the way up until the thief on the cross, who was the last one to go into paradise. They all had to accept Jesus' redemptive work on the cross of Calvary. They heard Jesus preach a simple message of salvation. They accepted the gospel of salvation, and Jesus led them to the portals of glory, to their eternal reward. Let me just stop here and tell you, paradise has been closed off now. There's no longer a need for paradise in the Old Testament, for my Bible tells me in the New Testament that when I breathe my last here, I'll breathe my next in the presence of Jesus Christ. For to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. <laughs> so he went and preached in his spirit to Old Testament saints. That was his first stop. But that would not be his only stop. He would make a second stop. And the second stop is he, Jesus, went to hell. That's right. The spirit of Jesus went to hell. And when he arrived there over that 39-hour period, he preached to bound up demons and a defeated devil. Listen, listen to the word. Don't, don't believe me, believe the word. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells us that there are fallen angels that are already in chains of darkness. If you go to Jude verse 6, that little one chapter book before Revelation, you'll read that there are those fallen angels that are already in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. Demons in chains. What does Jesus do while his body is in the grave? he goes and preaches to them oh I would have loved to have been there because he went and didn't preach a message of salvation because the demons cannot be saved oh no friend he preached a message of victory first Peter 3 19 says by his spirit he went and preached unto the spirits that are in prison I want you to get this in your mind this morning picture this Satan and his imps of darkness, they've been in a party mode for years in anticipation. They've been trying and planning and anticipating for 4,000 years, ever since Adam and Eve, ever since the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. They, they knew that there was going to come a day when they were going to be over, able to overcome the Son of God. And so as time has gone along, their fever has written, risen. It's at a fever 
her pitch. And they watch as Jesus is beaten. They watch as Jesus is pummeled. The high fives in the caverns of darkness are all around and abound as they watch. Evil men whip the Lamb of God with a cat of nine tails across his back and drive spikes into his hands and his feet. A crown of thorns like right what is right here in front of the pulpit is crushed into his brow. I imagine the party is at a fever pitch and the caverns of darkness are celebrating and they're about to become in delirium because of all the celebration until they heard these words. It is finished. While he hung there for six hours, they could party in their revelry. But the moment he said, it is finished, the Bible says the veil tore from the top to the bottom that had separated man from God. The Bible says the earth quaked and it turned dark in the middle of the day and suddenly the party atmosphere in the caverns of darkness turned sour and turned silent because what they expected is not the way it turned out. Well, Praise the Lord. Everybody's getting nervous in hell. And rightly so. Because in his spirit, he walked right into the caverns of darkness. He looked at a defeated devil. And he looked up at chained demons. And he said, it is finished. So you are finished hand over the keys. What keys are you talking about? I'm talking about the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Hand them over. Yes, on that day, souls were released from paradise, but yet there's still one more stop. Spoils, as he demands the keys to death and hell be turned over to him. Spoils, as Old Testament saints accept him as Savior and Lord. Spoils, as every manner of sickness and disease is healed. Spoils keep adding up even today as souls lead their father, the devil, and find true peace in the resurrected King, Jesus Christ. Oh, it's been 2,000 years, but can I tell you, all over this country and around this world, the enemy's darkness will still be spoiled. There'll still be those delivered because of what happened 2,000 years ago. I want to declare the victory has lasted much longer than the battle. <laughs> Jesus made a public spectacle of the devil. Earth knew it. Creation knew it. Temple knew it. And may everyone in this room know it. There is no more war to fight. The victory is already assured for the child of God. I said, Lord, what do you want to accomplish today? And the Spirit kept pressing me. There are defeated believers in the house on Easter Sunday morning. And I'm here to preach to you. It's time to pick yourself up and quit living defeated because it's already won. Well, Pastor, aren't they going to go to war again? 
in Revelation? Yes. That's just a consummation of the inevitable. That's all that is. <laughs> Let me give it to you like this. It was an October afternoon in 1982. College football fans may even recall this. It was Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin. The Michigan State Spartans had come to town to play the University of Wisconsin. MSU was much better than the Badgers and was whipping them badly during the game. The Wisconsin Badgers didn't stand a chance, but something strange began to happen at the game. What should have been a quiet, losing crowd that should have been somber because the visiting team was throttling them. They suddenly began to cheer. And it seemed the more that the visiting team were whipping the home team, the more loudly the cheers got. Literally burst of applause and shouts of joy from Wisconsin fans filled the stadium, even though they were getting annihilated. How can you cheer when your team is losing so badly? Here's the answer. 70 miles away from where the Wisconsin Badgers were playing, 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 3 of the World Series. And most of the faithful fans in that college football game had brought portable radios with them. And as they were in the losing stadium, they were listening to another conflict elsewhere. The fans were responding to something other than their immediate circumstances. My God, my God. <laughs> the, the fans realized there was something bigger than where they physically were. Something greater than where they physically were. Can I tell you something today? Our daily battles and challenges and conflicts and struggles, man, it is a little least scrimmage compared to the big conflict that's already been won by the risen Savior and the Lord and the King. His name is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I tell you today, your reality may be, I'm a walking time bomb in my health, but he is alive. I'm about to lose my house but he is alive. I'm dealing with a family crisis, but he is alive. I'm in trouble in my marriage, but he is alive. I'm in financial hardship, but he is alive. Mama said there'd be days like this, but he is still alive. Rain always falls on people who seem to deserve only the sun, but he is alive. And I've come by to tell you, breathe. 
It's just a bad day. It's not a bad life because Jesus Christ is alive. My God, because he is alive. You are alive as well. You don't know what I'm dealing with. I'm going to tell you this. You will never have an idea of abundant living in Jesus until you first change your outlook and perspective. You are not, do not have to be a puny, struggling believer trying to cope with the devil's attacks. You are not just trying to survive or escape. Jesus' victory over Satan was no quiet affair. He boldly and confidently and loudly exposed and stripped the devil of authority and power. Oh, Lord, help me. The devil has no right and no necessary arsenal to continue terrorizing you who are a child of God. He doesn't have any arsenal. If he's taunting you, it's because you are allowing him to taunt you. Your Savior has done, won the war. He invaded hell. He broke the power of demonic forces. He seized the devil's artillery. He whipped the devil. Heaven must have thrown a party. You wonder about us Pentecostals? We have some guests. Maybe it's your first time here and you think I am very strange. Sometimes we dance. Sometimes we jump. Sometimes we twirl around. A time or two I've seen people run around the church. And you may think all that's not necessary. I'm a very reserved believer. Well, friend, you're in for culture shock when you get to heaven. Because I think it's going to be the party of all parties. It's going to be the celebration of all celebration. David looked at his accusing wife when the Ark of the Covenant had come back. After she looked at him with disdain and was condescending toward him. And he reminded her he wasn't dancing for her. He was dancing before the Lord. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet, woman. He is the resurrected Lord. He is the conquering king. And let me take you back to that third battle from the Old Testament. The two points that are so important. And that is when they won the battle, they took the celebration to their valley. And they took the celebration to the temple. Maybe try this. 
Because life is filled with valleys and mountains and valleys and mountains. It's, we live in a fallen world. But wouldn't it be great one day as you're trudging through a dark valley if you just squared up and said, you know what? I'm going to do what God's people did when the Lord whipped the Moabites. The Lord has whipped the devil. I'm going to celebrate the war being won even while I'm in the valley. I know some of you are from out of town. You're maybe from a different state. And you're a believer. And you've been one of those sophisticated, reserved believers. I pray the Holy Ghost gets hold of you. The spirit of the resurrected Christ gets hold of you and you show up at your church next Sunday and you just go bananas. Why is Brother Joe so excited today? He's never been like that before because Brother Joe was in a church on Easter Sunday and on Easter Sunday he learned that no matter what battle's going on in his life, the war's already been won by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Brother Joe says, I'm not only going to celebrate in the valleys of my life, but I'm going to bring my celebration into the house of God. Oh, death, where is your sting? You got to say it with a little. Rah. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've asked for our breakthrough drama team to come back and share a special drama with you before we pray. I know this will be a blessing to you. I really feel it will. Three. 
had his father had forsaken him, turned his back on his son, despising our sin. All hell seemed to whisper, just forget him, he's dead. And the father looked down to his son and said, Was it? 
He's worthy to be praised. Bow your heads with me all over this place. The Spirit of God has met with us today from the very beginning of service. This is a critical time. So Lord, you know, I pray for every heart, every soul that is in this room, that is watching online. Lord, today there are people in this room that do not nor ever have had a relationship with Jesus. Today you've brought them face to face with their spirituality and their mortality. Today there are people in this room that have once known the Lord, once lived for the Lord, once read his Bible, once prayed to you. But the cares of life have separated them from God. Temptations of the world have drawn them away. But today, once again, they're here. They're experiencing the truth of your word and the tugging of your spirit. I pray for them. I pray that this moment, that they will commit or recommit their life to Jesus, the resurrected King. Someone here today feels like they cannot be forgiven. They've done too much. And that's the lie of the law. And that's the dominion of sin. But today, Lord, you've told them that sin and the law that exposed sin was nailed to the cross of Jesus. They don't have to live in condemnation a moment longer if they will just turn to you. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, no one looking around, no one moving around just for another moment or two. You'd say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, but today I want to commit or recommit my life to Christ. And you'll just raise your hand. You'll just raise your hand, would you? God bless those hands. They're going up. They're going up. Three, four, five. Six, seven. Oh, come on, there's others. Eight, nine. These nine hands have gone up. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. Everybody in the room, pray it from your heart. Repeat after me, dear Jesus. I come to you right now. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I believe that what you did on the cross and what you did in the tomb was for my salvation. Forgive me of my sins today. Cast all of them behind your back and be my Savior 
and my Lord. I accept you into my heart. I recommit my life to you. And I will live for you from this moment forward. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise, Lord. We ask you to just touch these hearts and raise their hands. I pray over them today. Part of their salvation experience is to confess with their mouth. So, Lord, they've done the first part. They've believed in their heart. And Lord, I just pray that they'll be bold with their witness and their newfound faith or their recommitment to Jesus. And that they will live for you with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their strength. This moment, the scripture says that there's rejoicing in the, among the angels in heaven over one. Imagine what it's like over nine that have accepted Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We as a church rejoice with the angelic host. Can we just give God praise? Can we just give the Lord praise?